Welcome to Six Minutes with Rory Sutherland. Um, Rory is the Vice Chair of Ogilvy and also the founder of their behavioural science practice. Um, he's an author, speaker, including, I think, three TED Talks, um, if I've not done you a disservice there, Rory. Um, Might be more if you include the X-rated TED Talks. Okay. Yeah. Maybe I've missed one then. I, I absolutely love the three that I've seen. Um, also a fellow at the B2B Institute, um, an advertising industry legend, uh, and widely regarded as one of the smartest people in our industry. So um, I'm super excited to uh, to welcome Rory to the show. Firstly, and most importantly, Rory, how are you? Okay, actually, I have to confess, um, I've evaded COVID so far, which is a fat 55-year-old man. It's probably quite a good move. Um, but I quite like this mode of working. I mean, I wouldn't have chosen it five days a week in perpetuity. But as someone who enjoys serendipity, um, uh, the fact that Zoom allows you to actually commute with people pretty much all over the world with no transport cost and therefore no re requirement to ask permission of anybody else yeah. is a bit of a bonus. I also like the fact that because of the low investment in a Zoom call, um, they're a little less regimented. You don't have some tedious account man with a bloody agenda demanding you stick to the timescale. Because I find if you let conversation roam free, A, half the value is in the red herrings and digressions anyway, and B, if you allow conversation to roam free, you'll end up covering the topics you meant to anyway, but from a much more interesting perspective. Yeah, and people feel that they, uh, they've been... I hate, it. I hate agendas. It's like conversational fascism. Yeah. yeah, it's a straitjacket, isn't it? It's it is. Yeah. You can go down. Yeah, uh, we, we, must, we must maintain the pretense of sequential logic, you know, mm -hmm. that. Yeah, not for you. No, not for me either. Um, I, I've been in those meetings many a time, I'm sure. I realize that's actually the really important thing you need to know in advertising, which is why I don't believe in process in advertising, really. I believe in checklists. I believe in methodologies. I believe in areas of inquiry. I believe in science, but I don't believe in one-size-fits-all process. And the reason for that, very simple, there are far more great ideas out there that you can post-rationalize than there are great ideas you can pre-rationalize. Okay? Mm -hmm. So if you confine yourself to a single sequential logical process you're actually massively limiting the solution space yeah yeah for sure i've heard you speak about um things like red I, I, I don't think planning should come before creative I, I think they should operate in parallel i mean howell henry spotted this and um, they produced some of the most ridiculous but also some of the best work through that approach yeah. you know you had a team of five or six people and they worked in parallel with the client that's how it should work yeah now, I, I've, um, without going too off topic, but I remember you um, on a Mediacom podcast saying that the decision to separate media and creative was totally deranged. And, and I was applauding because I, I kind of always thought that I thought it's, it's strange that creative do their work and then go to the media um, agency and say, right now, I want you to buy this. Whereas, you know, if, if your audience are on Snapchat and Instagram, then a 90 second TV commercial maybe wasn't the right decision. But um, and, and the people who are responsible for that decision were all out of touch with the day-to-day -day reality of producing advertising. So I won't name them, uh, but a former chief executive of Ogilvy at a board meeting apparently said, well, are, are you saying that the media agency go off and plan the media and then people come to us and tell us to fill in the spaces? You're not saying that happens. <laughs> and the people around the table said, uh, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yes. And, and by the way, the extent to which creative has been frozen out of digital because they've managed to sell digital as a targeting optimization game and a competition between algorithms, whereas even Google, 
you know, it doesn't really pay Google to say this. Google say, look, the actual creative is the single biggest determinant of success, but it's easier to compile a targeting matrix than it is to compile a creative matrix. So the extent to which most of the shit on the internet hasn't seen a copywriter, okay? Mm -hmm. It hasn't been within a hundred yards of a copywriter and from its gestation to its appearance has led to, you know, most of the stuff is awful. Right. There's a saying, isn't there, from a, from an advertising uh, legend of times gone by, and it may have even been David Ogilvy, I'm not sure, but he said something along the lines of, uh, shit delivered at the speed of light is still shit. David Abbott, that was. David yeah. Abbott, was it? Yeah, yeah. I, I like that. Yeah. That, that made, me laugh, made me smile. So, what, um, Rory, what I wanted to talk to you about today is the importance of context in advertising. Um, I would argue it's always been uh, very important, and um, in days gone by, when I first started in, in my media career, before the internet, context was kind of everything. But with third-party cookies going away um, and tracking people across the internet in order to target them, um, it's obviously a, a crumbling uh, strategy. So it seems that the, um, the power of context is getting a bit of a, a makeover, a bit of a resurgence. So um, what I wanted to ask you, and uh, to give you six minutes or thereabouts, I don't have a stopwatch on you and stop you dead on six. It's not like countdown or anything like that, or not countdown, a uh, mastermind. Um, but um, in about six minutes, Rory, what I would love you to, uh, to talk to us about, if you uh, would be so kind, is what can behavioral science teach us about the power of context in advertising? I would argue that behavioral science is all about context. In other words, it's how we make decisions in a world where there is context and where the context determines our perception, our, the meaning, our emotional reaction and the behavior, every bit as much as the objective reality does. Okay. So economics, it, marketing is a branch of economics. It's heterodox economics. Okay. And conventional economics, Chicago School economics is an attempt to create a context-free science of human behavior, which is an absurd endeavor, because patently uh, our brains have evolved to be highly sensitized to context in how we respond. And it would be utterly ridiculous in evolutionary terms had we not evolved that way. And so our perception of color, our perception of volume, our perception of, of virtually everything, okay, is hugely context-dependent. Right, and we just evolved that way. There's nothing you can do about that, and it would be, you know, we wouldn't have survived had we not evolved that way. You know, if we were rendered just as paranoid by the sound of footsteps um, on Oxford Street at twelve noon as we were by the sound of footsteps, you know, when we're going down a dark alleyway late at night, we would have ended up as an entirely ridiculous animal, right? We would have been eliminated almost immediately. And our perception of everything, including price, by the way, is hugely context dependent. And therefore, you can create value not by changing the thing itself, but by changing the context in which it's perceived. So there's what you might call the epistemological part of behavioral science, which is that. But then if you take context as the apex of behavioral science, and the role that context plays in decision making, okay, then two really big things that underpin that are habit, which is context formed on what you've done in the past, and social proof or norms, which is context shaped by what everybody else is doing. And we've just seen an extraordinary lesson in social proof and, and contextual norms in the sudden adoption of video conferencing um, from February, March last year, in the sense that the technology was pre-existing. But 
at the time, the guy who said, let's not fly to Frankfurt, let's do this over video, was the weirdo, okay? You know, that was like asking for Dr. Pepper in a Michelin-starred restaurant, okay? You were an outlier, and outlier decisions are always really risky, because if that video call goes wrong, everybody's going to blame you. Suddenly, the context shifts so that the norm is to commute this way, and the, uh, and the physical travel is the abnormality. And so the power you can achieve in behavior by normalizing things, by shifting the context from perfectly normal thing to do to weird thing, you know, to, to normal thing to do from weird thing to do. And generally, I think that would have happened anyway, that process, but it would have taken 10 years without the pandemic to get to where we are now. Um, and so, yeah, I would argue that, okay, habit and, and, uh, and social proof and, and norms and so forth are the big guns there in context. But there are plenty of others. And, of course, the weird thing is, is that by making um, the most contextual form of advertising, which is arguably digitally targeted advertising, by essentially removing it from any creative input, one of its great strengths, which is the freedom to communicate contextually, uh, has been completely eliminated. Go figure. I mean, it makes no sense to me. Mm. I thought naively that 10 years ago, I thought the job of a creative director would be to say, okay, these are the things, these five things seem to be working really well. These five things don't seem to be working very well, except here where they're working really, really well. Can you work out what's going on? And can you replicate these effects by working out what's underlying these data findings? Um, I thought genuinely that would be 50% of a creative director's job, you know, by, I don't know, well, not now, in 2010 even, I thought. Never happened. And to be honestly honest, I think media agencies have connived with tech firms to turn this all into a kind of targeting optimization and data game and have uh, enjoyed having the boot on, on the other foot in stiffing the creative agencies in the process. Okay. It's like try, trying to solve a bloody communications problem by only looking at media. It's like trying to solve a Sudoku by chopping it into nine squares and handing the squares to different people and saying, uh, uh, Dave, can you solve for the top right corner, please? Okay? It simply is no way to go about solving a, a, a systemic problem. So what's the answer uh, then? What, 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 should, uh, what should happen moving forward, do you think, to fix that? Well, a few people, I've noticeably ampersand group and uh, CHI, refused to not have a media capability in the agency. For some reason, Martin Sorrell would accept that from them. But um, there's also a complete double standard because they're media agencies who hire a creative director. And that's apparently fine because he's producing content. Okay, If we hired a media director at Ogilvy, they'd go fucking bananas. It's a complete double standard. And the, you know, the most interesting bit of the business and the bit which has the greatest potential to actually make breakthrough discoveries has been frozen out of the process. Right. So how do we fix that? There must be a, a, a way of fixing that. Yeah, I think what you need is you need some sort of, um, uh, well, I mean, it could sit within a behavioral science practice, he said, in an empire building kind of way. Um, but we need that expertise back within the agency. It makes no sense not to have it. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's simply absurd. Because, I mean, there's also the power for, um, I, I mean, genuinely, there should have been the power for magically context-sensitive advertising, right? Um, and, and digital should have given us this. Do you see any? 
I mean, the whole thing is absurd, by the way. I mean, the whole uh, way in which the in which advertising is targeted is a case where you've optimized for the individual, but it's it, it's ludicrous. So I never see. I've been searching for electric cars, right? Because I'm really interested in them, right? For the for the past, I don't know. Well, yeah, okay, right? So someone must have noticed that this Sutherland guy is pretty interested in electric cars. Have I seen an ad for an electric car online? Fucking zilch, right? On the other hand, if I buy my daughter a pair of tights on ASOS, right, which is high margin, okay, right, I will get ads for tights for the next three months. So at the collective level, there's something fundamentally that my concern, I never see ads for any Unilever products, any FMCG products, anything like that. I never see ads for any new food products. Now, you know, I don't know. You know, I shop on a cardo. All I can say is if these people are stealing my data. They seem to be doing it very, very selectively because they seem to be absolutely fascinated when I buy a weird high margin niche product. But they seem to show no interest in my other areas of consumption. Remarketing. I, in fairness, I'm fairly forgiving of remarketing because if I'm, you know, if I might have been within sort of ten seconds of buying X, it does make sense on the assumption that I might not have bought X to advertise X to me fairly heavily for two weeks. I don't regard remarketing. I know it really annoys the hell out of people. Okay, mm -hmm. but I get the logic behind it. But the, the extent the, to the which the annoying thing is when the retargeting continues when you've already bought the product. Um, I have an example of that. Uh, remarkable. It's a it's a, a tablet for writing. It's hmm. brilliant, by the way. Uh, people who buy them become weirdly culty. Yeah, oh, they're amazing. Amazing. It's, yeah. it's changed my life. Like, but that's another podcast. But but I'm still seeing <coughs> a heavy amount of advertising for that product long after I, I've I've received it, and I had to wait weeks for it to arrive. Now, so. now it suddenly occurs to me why this is going on, right? Which is clothing online clothing purchase is high margin, okay, and it's impulse, and it's trackable, right? Yeah. And also, you can fling in a discount at whim because your margins are so high, you can just go twenty percent off. Okay. Now, what is the purpose of marketing? The ideal purpose of marketing is to get people who weren't thinking of buying something to pay full price for it. Okay. What is digital marketing optimized for? It's optimized around getting people who would have bought the bloody thing already at full price to buy it at a discount. Okay? So digital marketing, the because of the measurement problem and what you might call quantification bias, it's very easy to measure impulse buys because they're very, very close to the point of advertisement. Whereas I'm not going to go, oh, look, there's a Tesla ad. Here, here you go, Elon. Here's 40 grand, right? I'm, that, you know, I don't work like that, okay? So Areas where you can prove efficacy, even though it's value destructive, perhaps in many cases, right? I would have bought the bloody thing anyway, okay? Um, those things are very, very easy to, to use to justify ad spend. Whereas the real purpose of marketing, which is to get people to, to buy things that had never occurred to them before and to pay the full price for doing so, is almost impossible to justify in the digital space. So this kind of McNamara effect takes over, where all our money is misdirected on the short term and neglects the long, which is exactly the whole point that Binet and Field and um, Byron and um, uh, Mark Ritson. It's not like you know. It's not like I'm I'm being creatively self interested here, going oh, if only we could do nice TV ads like the old days. I'm just making the point that the the need for quantification and to justify your own sad existence within an agency or a client digital marketing department 
um, is essentially causing marketing to piss large amounts of money up the wall, you know, simply for the purpose of creating some sort of crappy spreadsheet that you can present at the end of the year. Rory, thank you so much for your time. It's always an absolute pleasure. I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. Um, stay well, and hopefully I'll, I'll see you in the flesh, as it were, sometime soon. Okay, excellent. Tidy. Fantastic. All the best. Thanks a lot.